Okay, welcome everybody to the 100 Pounder meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Today is Wednesday, the 17th of March, 2021, and I am delighted today for to have our speaker, Marla. Marla has been in OA since uh, November 2012. She, her top weight was 284 pounds. She has been absent over eight and a half years with a 120 pound weight loss. And I'm going to tell you now, pass it over to her now to tell you how she did it. And just confirm, Marla, you signed the speaker release form so you don't mind it being recorded. Yes, I did. And I've signed away my firstborn child uh, as well as given all my financial information. <laughs> Thank you. Take it away, Marla. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, oh, my God, what a thrill it is to be here. I'm wearing green for St. Patrick's Day, and I want you to see what this says. I only have one item in my closet, and it says, today is the best day ever. Okay, so how did that happen? I don't know. But um, first of all, I, slow down. I'm going to breathe a little bit. Um, I actually, I'm going to stop for a minute and just Pray for a quick second so I don't take off on a tangent here. God, I just ask that you please, 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 please help this be for you and not for me or my ego. God, I ask that you make this make sense for somebody here and help me have a sequence and a path that is logical because I have a ton of stuff I would love to say. Amen. So thank you very much. Um, I guess if you wouldn't mind... Um, putting the pictures right up right now, Carol, let's just do that first. And then I will get that um, taken care of. Carol did a full color uh, video montage, which is so thrilling for me to see. Um, <laughs> if you ever want this for your memoirs, you know, ask Carol to put one together for you. But honestly, um, this was, as it said, uh, as she introduced it, 284 pounds was my top measured weight. Um, this is this is kind of where I am now. That was my trip to Alaska a couple of years ago. Um, and I think that's it, we can take those down. Um, and I, it's like two different lives for me, folks. Um, anyway, I wanna start by just saying, first of all, welcome here, welcome home. Um, this process for me, honestly, I was thinking today of what this has been like for me in the past eight and a half years. And I almost feel like I wanna cry right now. I guess I will. Um, I don't hide that so much anymore, but my journey of health through my um, life as a morbidly obese person and with so many internal issues and to being able to come to where I am at peace today is an amazing miracle. And so I have, <laughs> all these notes that I thought maybe I could share with you. And that's why I asked God to please make this make sense. Um, I am so grateful to be able to share the change from what I believe to be, I was an empty shell walking around as sort of the living dead previously to my recovery journey eight and a half, that started about eight and a half years ago here. Um, so I am going to say today that I am Marla, I am a recovered compulsive overeater for today by the grace of God, by the fellowship and by a lot of desperation and pain. Pain for me has been the touchstone, touchstone to getting well. Um, so I'd like to just kind of start with where I, I was. When I was, a, I'm gonna actually wanna start my own timer here, excuse me. Whew, shaking, shaking and baking. 
not nervous to talk to you. I'm nervous that I want it to make sense, but that's not up to me. It's going to be up to God. Um, time. So when I was a child, um, food was very pleasant. Food has always been enjoyable for me. My uh, progression of my eating disorder did not start off terribly. I mean, I loved food in the beginning. I always have loved food and I still do. But what started out as fun for me in elementary school and junior high um, turned into a living nightmare by uh, early 30s, maybe, and adulthood. So this disease for me has been extremely progressive. Um, in fact, I did try Ovaries Anonymous at three previous times in my life uh, when weight was a problem and food wasn't in control. And I went there three other times and I tried the steps piecemeal and stuff, but I never got it because the main reason was I had not hit my rock bottom yet. And I didn't know where I was headed until I was in it. Um, so back in elementary school, high school, um, I mean, elementary school and junior high food was fun. I, I enjoyed it and I didn't have a lot of terrible consequences, but I knew I always thought differently than normal kids about food um, while the other little brownies or Girl Scouts were, you know, playing in the basement after we had made chocolate chip cookies. I was up there hanging around with the, the leader trying to get the extra chocolate chips in the cup and everyone else would care about things like playing and, and not me. I wanted to get all the extra food. Um, as I moved in through junior high, socially, obviously becoming a little heavier, maybe I started feeling just kind of out of it a little bit, out of the social groove. Um, high school is when my eating disorder just blossomed hugely. Uh, my mom and dad were having a lot of issues. My mother was mentally ill throughout my life. Um, and I was always eating out of a source of uh, need for comfort. I didn't really feel safe being able to express my emotions at home. I didn't get that kind of nurturance that I needed. There were great parents who loved me, but my mom and dad couldn't give me what I needed emotionally. And I felt very lonely. I felt very lonely and had to be kind of on my own and self-reliant. Um, I started putting all my emphasis on food at that point. And then socially, uh, just food was becoming my best friend at that point in time. I was beginning the sneaking and the hiding and the lying and eating huge quantities of food. My parents were starting to get concerned about my eating life and so on. I was getting heavier, definitely. And it started all coming to a head that senior year. Um, I had gained 80 pounds in one year of high school. Believe me, that's not the best way to get elected to homecoming queen or anything in that nature. So it continued to make me feel like I was a loser. Uh, no boys were interested in me. I, I just did not ever really feel like I fit in. And the food was constantly that comfort to me. Um, I did have a, quite a few attempts at that point. I made my first weight loss attempt in high school, lost about 35 pounds, was wonderful. And I maintained that felt weight for about eight minutes. I think the moment the diet, uh, I got to the goal weight, the next minute I was off to eating again. Um, then when I went to college, um, I had tried Overeaters Anonymous in high school, a lot of counseling stuff. I became the problem in the family. You know, Marla's weight was the big issue, everybody. And I wasn't morbidly, oh, well, I suppose I was at that time, but I never went to the doctor and, and they didn't 
diagnose me as that. But throughout college, then the focus of all of college became a, my whole social life. In fact, my very best friend from college is here today in this meeting. And everything we did was about fun with food. Uh, I never drank in, really in my life. I think I might have had one beer, but everything for me was about food binges. You know, the parties were for us, what are we going to eat? What ice cream store are we going to go to? Everything was about that food. If I could just come home to food, that was my love. That was my comfort. And it was still pretty fun in college, although it was getting more and more out of control. And I would, you know, try to dabble in, in losing weight, but things like the mental preoccupation with eating was there constantly. I would wake up in the morning. At one time I was planning all night long what I was gonna bake in the morning. At 5.30 in the morning, I woke up. Food was always a mental preoccupation for me. What am I gonna get? How am I gonna get more? How can I get it without people noticing me? I don't want them to see it, you know? And the quantities over time gradually increasing more and more and more. Um, lots of family things going on. The binging was getting bigger and bigger. The social isolation was getting bigger and bigger. Uh, starting to feel like I didn't fit in, getting called names by boys driving by out the window. I did a lot of counseling. I did a lot of attempts at dieting then. Then in my early adulthood, um, I, I did get married uh, to a very nice man. Um, and we were married together for about 14 years without children. Um, and I didn't think I could be a good mom because I was so, so stuck in the uh, mental illness of my own mother. Did more counseling, weight continued gaining. Um, eating became my lifeblood as time went on. And every time, the terrible part about this disease is that every time I would try to attempt to control the weight, uh, with a diet or with therapy or with hypnosis or with self-help books or exercise and trainers, every time I would lose weight, I would always put it back on again, always. Um, my history also includes three um, visits to eating disorder treatment centers. Um, two of them were outpatient. One of them as an adult was a um, six week inpatient one where I left home and went out of state for six weeks and dealt with some of that. I had some tragedies in my life. Um, my mother and father both committed suicide and that was pre-recovery. Um, that was in 94 and 98. Those things contributed to my eating, but I would not say they were the cause of my eating. My cause of my eating is a deep inner uh, soul, a broken soul that I was always looking for ease and comfort and safety and security. And I always was putting that ladder seeking, where can I put that? And I would put it on things like food for sure. That was my biggest dot. I was always looking for that love in the food. You know, I couldn't get the security from the family. And, and so it was my best friend. Food was my best friend. And I, I didn't know how, by the time this illness had progressed to the point where it did, where I became morbidly obese, some of those big pictures there, my life as a very huge woman um, became very painful. And what had happened is I, I stopped dieting finally, because I would try to gain, lose, and then gain it back, lose, gain it back. And so I finally, after years of therapy, I thought, this is crazy. This is freaking ridiculous. So I did, I think, honestly, at, at 265 pounds, and I'm only five foot one and a half. When I, that was, I finally stopped fighting, and I surrendered. And I stopped 
dieting, which was like, you know what? I knew I could not stop thinking about food. I knew I could not stop wanting food. And so I just gave up the shit. It was like, this is crazy. Just stop dieting, stop treating food like the enemy. And for literally, I believe it was like somewhere between 12 to 15 years, you guys, I did not diet. I just said, I, I can't do this. I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want. And I did. And I didn't make food a loaded issue. I just surrendered to the food. And I thought I'm going to make the happiest life I can at this nice felt 265 pounds. And that's where I stayed. And you know what, that was the first time in my life that my weight stayed the same. And even though it was an unhealthy weight, it was at least no yo-yoing. And I thought that was the ticket for me. I had surrendered to the fact that I was going to be fat my whole life. And I would never be in the land of the normal sized people or the normal eaters. Um, and then something happened. My husband is also a compulsive eater. He decided he was on numerous diets too. What changed my life here? He went to one of those diet programs and I sat with him. It was one of those medically supervised deal where you fast, okay? And we were sitting in the room that day because after like 12, 13, 14 years of no dieting, and he sat in that room and, and they showed us this video, this before and after video of people who had lost weight on their program. They said only 5% of people who lose their weight ever keep it off. And something happened when I was watching that video, the people before and after like mine, they, it was like, oh my God, I had shut down that part of me that wanted so badly to have a normal body, that wanted so badly to look normal, to be able to eat normally. And I shut that down, given up hope of that ever happening. And I sat in that room watching and I cried and I thought, oh my God, somebody is in that 5%. Maybe it could be me. What if it could be me? <laughs> and what ended up happening is I went on that commercial diet and I succeeded. I was on that thing for many months and I lost 106 pounds on this diet. And I, like Bill Wilson in the big book, thought I had arrived. It was it. I was, I, people called me the incredible shrinking woman. I mean, I had really gotten to a normal size and I loved it and all was well until it wasn't <laughs> because something happened up here. While I was abstaining from my trigger binge foods, I was doing just fine. But once they started giving me real food again, and, and this was after many months of success, I could fit on roller coaster rides again. I could wear normal clothes. I could stand. I didn't sweat all the time. I wasn't burping all the time. My legs weren't rubbing together. You guys know the hazards of being morbidly obese, I'm sure. So I succumbed to the first bite. I succumbed to the mental twist. I was at a party at my boss's house and it was the last day of our work party and I'm a teacher person and there was um, this woman there whose daughter was going to be graduating my school and wasn't going to be there anymore and she um, she made the most excellent chocolate chip cookies I've ever had in my life that I craved for years you know and what happened was she was there and I thought I saw those and my brain my mental twist my obsession in my mind lied to me and it said Marla, you're never going to get those again. You're never going to get those again. You got to have those now because this, this is it. It's your last chance. You're just going to have them now at the party and then you'll start over again. And as soon as I believed that lie and picked up the first bite, and I know today that I have an allergy of the body. In the big book, we learn 
that my disease is twofold. I have an allergy of my body. There are certain foods to me that are just like alcohol to the alcoholic. And so when I pick that food up immediately, it set my mind off into, I gotta have more, my body, it needed. So I started the sneaking just like that, stuck more into a little styrofoam cup. Suddenly I was eating all the other stuff at the table that I wouldn't normally have, hiding immediately. And so then fear, total fear. I put more in the cup, started to leave the party. And as I was driving home, it ripped me. It was like, you can't go back. Because you know, once you're morbidly obese and you finally get to be a normal size, it is like life has opened up to you. You are finally a lot in the land of the living, I thought. And I couldn't see that going away. And it was gradually. So I started immediately. I threw the cookies out the window and it's like, no, you know, and then started the process. Once I had started the it was, I got right back on the diet. And for a couple of weeks, I was okay. And I thought, this is it. This is the key. Oh, I don't have to be so all or nothing anymore. You know, once, oh, that's the ticket. Just get right back on. And I started that for a while, but I couldn't stay on it anymore. That began about 10 months, I think, of attempts to get back on, followed by binging again. Attempts to get back on bigger binges and the binges got closer and closer together and the self-hatred and the terror came back because it's like you're normal, now it's going away, they're taking it away. And so I saw, and so I could not for anything get back on. And I went into some of the worst binging of my life after that long period of abstaining. Um, and so, finally, uh, the longest period of binging. So by the time I walked into, um, how, let's see, it was 2012. The, my last binge, I will tell you this, my last binge, I lied to my husband. It was 1030 at night. I couldn't make it through a day. I mean, I couldn't wake up in the morning without my hand going in the chocolate candy that was in my bedside. Everything was about food at that point. Everything, sneaking, um, I, my whole goal was to get family away, go to bed at night so I can binge social elements. If they didn't have food there, I don't want any part of it. I didn't even know what that meant to go out for coffee with somebody. What the hell is that? Go out for coffee. You don't put food and chew. I didn't get that. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I do now. Here's coffee. You guys have coffee. <laughs> but when I finally, the worst binge of my life that evening, it's 1030 at night, lied to my husband. I said, I had no stash. I had no stash. Phil, I got to go out and get sticky notes. And I had that sense of crawling skin. If I can't get my shot right now, if I can't get chocolate in my veins, I'm going to fall. I'm, I'm literally going to die. I thought I was going to die without my fix. And when, as soon as I drove around and I got that first bite in my mouth in the store, <laughs> it was like, <sighs> relief. I had to have that first bite that hit. That was my sense of ease in public. But once that happened, the cycle was all over again. And I had to, I, I couldn't go home. I, I bought so much binge food that night. I, I bought 12 ice cream bars or something. And I couldn't go home to my husband because I had to eat it. And I couldn't bring it in the house. And I knew I couldn't hide it. So I drove around for like 10 minutes. Just in 10 minutes, I ate the whole box of ice cream. I mean, it, it was that intensive. Okay. So that's who I used to be. That night, I was hit with the awareness that I cannot control this thing, no matter how badly I want to. I could not. I was completely powerless at this point. And I finally was convinced that even when I'm dieting, 
I'm powerless because I can't stop thinking about food. Whether I'm eating or not eating, I'm always thinking about it. I'm always wanting it. And I could not stop wanting food. That was the thing for me. You could take away the food. I could throw it away, stick it down the dish, but nothing ever allowed me to stop wanting and wishing for food. Nothing ever. So I finally crawled back into OA. It was after years of being there. I walked into my first meeting that night and I stood at the podium and I remember thinking this thought, will somebody please get control over me? Will, because I was like, I, I was completely out of control. And I want to go into the big book here and talk about, so what was my journey? I walked into that room. I knew I was desperate. I felt like I was being buried alive in quicksand and dirt all at the same time in a grave. And what I want to say is I could say to you on page 30 of the big book, this for me is kind of what, um, what represents my whole effort at, at losing, losing this disease, this addiction. It says most of us have been unwilling to admit that we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he's bodily or mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could somehow drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday he will control and enjoy his eating, drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it to the gates of death or insanity. That's where I was headed, I think. We learned, this is important, we learned that we had to concede, fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And for me, that's what it took. I had to smash the idea that I could ever eat the foods I wanted and control them and enjoy them. I have learned through OA that I have the allergy of the body. There are certain foods that once they go in my system at all, they are like pulling the trigger of a gun. I will lose the power of choice and control the moment I pick that thing up. I no longer can control or predict how bad it's gonna go, how much I'm gonna be eating, when will I stop, if I can stop, uh, how much I'll eat, I lose the power of choice and control once I take that first bite. And for me, it has to be chocolate and sweets and stuff like that. But if that's all I needed to know, I could have just stopped eating my chocolate and never had a problem again and just said, ah, you know, hey, you're allergic to peanut butter, don't eat it anymore, you're not gonna have the problem. That is only one aspect of being a real food addict, a real compulsive eater. The second part of my disease that makes me need to be in these rooms with you guys and that made me need the 12 steps is that I am also, I have an obsession of my brain, an obsession of my mind that took me on roads for years trying to convince me that I am not allergic to those foods and that I'm a normal eater. So that no matter what time I was dieting, no matter how well I was doing, no matter how badly I wanted to get well or how many consequences I hated and wanted to make go away, it didn't matter because somewhere in all of it, I would eventually lie to myself and believe the lies. Like, well, you know, you've been so good for, for, for six months now. You deserve it. You know, let's just have it today. Let's just overeat on Halloween. 
And you know what, you'll start up again tomorrow, or you're out of town, you can handle it today. I would convince myself that the very bullet that I was pulling the trigger on could be caught by like a baseball glove. And until I fully conceded, no, 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 you can't. Because see, that is the part I have no control over. I don't ever know when my crazy butt brain is going to lie to me. I don't ever know when it's going to tell me today, I'm just going to have one of those little panties in the back. Yeah, I'll just have one. I'll start again tomorrow, you know, or I deserve it. Or I've had a hard day. Those little excuses, those trivial mental excuses for picking up the first bite of something that is poison to me, that's where my mental problem was, the mental obsession. The problem I have is greater, the thinking problem. Because again, if it was purely physical and I could have put those foods down and stayed away from them, I would not need the 12 steps. So when I walked in that room and that was my surrender, will somebody get control over me? I finally was at my step one, knowing that nothing I can do has ever allowed me to fully stop caring about food, stop wanting it, stop binging, stay on any diet. When I fully accepted, I've never been able to stay on a diet and I never will. And I accepted that deep in my core. And I knew time to wave the right flag. That's when I got ready to do the work. I got a sponsor that night. I knew that I had to get clear of those foods. They tell us in the big book that they have to put the drink down. I cannot get well if I'm continuing to turn to food as my God while trying to create a relationship with a higher power. If food is my God, if food is my choice for higher power, it will be the only choice I ever use, only. So the food had to be taken off of the table as an option for me. And that meant complete, entire abstinence. I did not, I could not allow myself, it was part of my plan. So I got a sponsor that night. I entirely surrendered and gave up every food that I knew, rigorously, honestly knew I could no longer handle. And it was like cutting off my left arm, you guys. There was so much pain and grief in that. When I finally got honest, Marla, you have five minutes. Okay. I finally got honest. I felt a deep, tremendous grief about it. But then that's when I began to get well. Okay. I'm, I started to dig into the step work. I put the food down. I got a sponsor. I went to any length to keep that food down. And then I started working the steps. And I worked them as if my life depended on them because it did. And I was willing to do anything they told me to do and stop you know, doing it my way. So what, how did I get well? You guys, I wish I could tell you all the things. I followed the directions in the book. I got to meetings. I went to any length to avoid my temptation foods. You know, those first few weeks of, of abstinence, I couldn't go a lot of places. I didn't go to restaurants for three months. I didn't go to parties. I changed my life. I created a life that would make it possible for me to abstain. But by working the steps, surrender was the first big step. And then the process of steps two and three, I had to realize you don't have the power, Marla. You don't have the power to stay away and avoid that first bite and the mental twist. So there had to be a power greater than me. And I was willing to finally seek a power other than chocolate. And it couldn't be chocolate because that had failed me and it wasn't me. So I opened up my mind 
I started to look for that higher power. The group was my higher power. My sponsor was my higher power. And then gradually now I've developed a relationship with what I believe is to be my true creator in the world. Anyway, I cleared away the wreckage of my past by working steps four through nine. I made amends that I needed. And if we had more time, I'd tell you all the details of my step work. But just let's say I followed the directions. I stopped fighting. And gradually over time, I didn't care about food anymore. I am today, thank you God, at a place of absolute neutrality. You know, these last eight years, I have not wanted to binge even once on chocolate or sugar or any of that, despite some really bad crap that's happened in my life. I've never once thought of turning to food for that. When before I couldn't even wake up for five minutes and be without food. Today, God has worked a miracle in my life that I am maintaining the same size 10 clothing. When I used to be a size 32, I'm a size 10 now for eight years. That's a miracle. I couldn't maintain that for eight minutes. You know, I wake up and food does not run me today. I am no longer a slave. And this program, I'm not afraid because I don't want it. It's easy not to eat that crap when you don't want it. That was always the problem all along. But without God, Without the change in me, the spiritual awakening that I've done as a result of my 12 steps and of finding that relationship with power, then in step 10, I maintain my inventory every day whenever I'm disturbed. I know how to deal with those feelings now without picking up food. I never even want food. I can be around any food. I can touch those foods. I can bake. I can sit in rooms all alone with candy, carry it in my car. It doesn't bother me today. And I do feel safe and protected as long as I keep working these steps. 10 and 11 is growing my spiritual life, always working on that, developing more and more trust in higher power, reading spiritual literature, prayer and meditation. And I'm not perfect at it at all. And step 12, I do carry a message of hope. This to me this sharing with you guys, this is the highlight of what this program is for me. I am so passionate about this thing. I will stand on the rooftops and shout out because this thing has saved my life to take me from the miserable mess that I used to be and to give me today. I have love. I have self-love. And more importantly, I have a God who I know loves me and I feel safe and secure. I don't have that insecurity and fear I used to have every day of my life, not because of fat but because of who I was inside. That's all changed now. I'm peaceful today most of the time. And you know what? Because I'm peaceful and I feel safe and secure, now I can care about you. And now I can care about other people. And now when I do nice things, it's actually to do nice things, not so that you can tell me what a wonderful person I am. Because today I already know I'm a wonderful person and I can recognize that and know that I'm safe with my higher power. So if I could say anything to you guys, I know I'm coming close on time. Who's my timer? Will you, uh, what do we have, like one or two left? That, Susan? You've got 22 seconds. Oh, I can do it. <laughs> As I said before, this is about coming home. And you know who it's coming home to? It's coming home to the me that I was meant to be and to the creator that wanted to be to be whole and happy and joyous and free so that I can give, shine that light. And I believe today I can do that most of the time. I shine that light of God inside of me and I'm not a nun and I'm not a monk, but I believe I am connected to a higher power that allows me to care today. And, and that's to time, Marla. 
And you guys, it's a miracle that I am stopping on time. Thank you so much for letting me share with you today. Thank you so much, Marla. And we'll stop for the recording there, Carol, if you can. Or one of the co-hosts. Thank you so much. <laughs>